The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Let us turn together to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 23, a very familiar text about the Lord's Supper. Hear God's inspired word. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world." This is God's holy word. The Lord's Supper is a very very familiar thing to most of us. But we need to be reminded about its meaning. Someone has said there are two tendencies regarding the Lord's Supper or communion. One tendency is to think too much of the Lord's Supper in almost a mystical or magical way to think of it as having power that it doesn't have. The other extreme is to think too little of it, to make it almost commonplace. And that's really the problem that was taking place at Corinth. I didn't read the verses before our text began, but Paul is talking about the problem with what was called in ancient times the love feast, when there would be a whole meal. And at Corinth, we find that there were apparently the rich or those more well-to-do who came to the meeting early and ate and drank, brought along their food and their drink and so forth. And some of them, we read in the text, were even getting drunk. And then the poor, like uh, probably even some slaves, were coming late and didn't have any food to bring, and they went hungry. And this was mixed in with the observance of the Lord's Supper. And in verse 22... Before our text, Paul says, What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so Paul is rebuking them for their abuse of the Lord's Supper and seeking to correct their wrong behavior by reminding them in our text 
of the meaning of the Lord's Supper, of its significance, which is vital for you and I to keep in mind as well. And the main point in what he goes on to say, as we read, is that the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the redemptive, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It is a portrayal of Christ's redemptive work. Verse 24, the bread... This is my body, which is for you. The sacrificial character of Christ's death. It was no ordinary death. Rather, it was for you. It was substitutionary atonement. The Bible uses the word propitiation. It was for our sins. And likewise, the cup in verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup of the Passover, which would have been the blood of the covenant, the blood by which the covenant was ratified and its blessings secured. Ancient covenants were often ratified by the sprinkling of blood on the parties who were entering into covenant. And it symbolized the solemn obligation upon those entering into the covenant. The covenant of Moses by God was ratified by the blood of animals, but the new covenant in the New Testament was ratified and certified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and the cup symbolizes that Jesus' death procured redemption. Let us look briefly at some of the highlights of what we find here about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Our first point is, is that the Lord's Supper is a sign and seal of union with Christ in his death. The Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of union with Jesus Christ. We use these words, sign and seal, which are similar to one another, but there's some distinction. A sign by means of which something else is made known. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you, this bread, this cup, They signify something. The bread and the cup do not literally become the body of Christ, but they are a sign of Jesus' death. Just like Moses' rod turning into a snake was a sign when he cast that rod down before Pharaoh and it turned into a snake, it signified something that God was with Moses, that God had appeared to Moses, that he had spoken to him. It signified that God was at work. If I had won an Olympic gold medal in some kind of event, I might be wearing it right now. And you might think, well, what was that for? What does that mean? Well, it would signify some great victory in my past, that I had defeated every other opponent in that particular event. That's what the gold medal stands for. The Lord's Supper signifies the saving death of Jesus Christ. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, It is a visible sermon in which Christ crucified is set before us. When you take of those elements, when you taste them, when you smell them, when you feel them, it is the gospel being preached not in words, but we might say in pictures and in actions. It is portraying, it is preaching the gospel in another way with this central emphasis on 
the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper represents a work of God in Christ that we enter into by grace through faith, but then it continues throughout our lives. The work of God's grace by which a believer continually derives spiritual nourishment and blessing from the benefits of the one sacrifice for sin that Jesus Christ brought about. And now he ever lives mediating and blessing us with the benefits of that one sacrifice for our sins. And so it's a sign, but it's also a seal, something which authenticates. We know that kings would affix their seal to a document to certify to others that this message was really from the king. And in a similar way, we might have a document notarized that we sign, and then it convinces whoever reads it that it's truly our signature. It's been notarized. It's from us. A seal is not a benefit to the giver, to the one who made the seal. It's a benefit to the recipient. The Lord's Supper is a seal to us, to someone who has received salvation, confirming what we have received. Think if a rich relative or his attorney sent you some kind of notarized will saying, John Light, you have inherited a million dollars from this rich uncle, and here's a notarized statement of this from the will. I would take it into my attorney and say, is this bogus? Is this just junk mail? Is this a joke? And the attorney would look at it, and he would say, hopefully, this is true. This is signed and sealed and notarized. Oh, you see, it certifies to me the benefits that I am receiving. The the Westminster Confession says that the Lord's Supper is given to us for various reasons. As a sign, it, it represents Christ and his benefits. As a seal, it confirms our interest in Christ, that we are united to Christ. It puts a visible difference between us and the world as we are receive the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're set apart as part of the church, and it engages us to the service of Christ. So think of the meaning, then, of the Lord's Supper as a sign and seal of our union with Christ. It confirms to us as believers what we have received through the gospel. It's a great help. The saving grace is by the work of Jesus Christ and his cross and resurrection, and it is applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we are saved by grace through faith, by being united to Jesus Christ. But the Lord's Supper testifies to that reality. It confirms that reality. It helps us to stand in the gospel and in all that Jesus has done for us, to rejoice in it. And so it strengthens our assurance. It helps us in our faith as we walk with Christ. It nourishes us spiritually. It increases our thankfulness to our God. And that's the idea every time we partake of it. I was in our garage the other day, and I, was, I noticed the flag rolled up in the, you know, on the side of the garage because in the winter I typically bring the flag in because I don't want it to go through all those winter storms. Of course, we haven't had many winter storms this year, so it's been very nice. But I was thinking, wow, it feels almost like it's going to be spring. It'll soon be time to put out the flag. The flag is a sign, isn't it? It stands for 
our nation and what our nation stands for. We're not saying our nation is always right in everything it's done by putting out the flag, but we are saying that our nation is a beacon for the world of freedom and for constitutional liberties. It stands for something in the world, and we hope it always will. But as I take out the flag... And as I, you know, take it in and out, if there's a thunderstorm or something like this, I often think about it. I think about the Revolutionary War, and I've read some about the Revolutionary War, and think of what those soldiers sacrificed. It says that, that, that many of them in the winters, some of those winters, they didn't even have shoes, and you could see a trail of blood in the snow where they marched because of their bleeding feet. And you think of the hardships that many have borne, or I think of my dad fighting through Europe in World War II and what he did as a 20-year-old kid, in my mind. And I think of the veterans of all the wars and all of the sacrifice and the blood and the sweat and the tears, all at great cost for our liberty. And so when I put out the flag, it's with a sense of gratitude. The Lord's Supper is even more so a sign of our redemption? Does it move us? Do we recognize that it signifies our union with our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, secondly, it's a sign and seal of our communion with Christ. Union with Christ is the basis, but communion with Christ flows from that. It's interesting that in chapter 10, Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper there as he spoke about idolatry. And in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? He uses that word participation or fellowship, sharing, the Greek word koinonia. You've probably heard that word, communion. And so it's a sign and seal of our communion in Christ in that we meet with Jesus Christ, hopefully, as we partake this sacrament. It's not that Jesus and his body is in the actual elements literally, but we believe from a biblical perspective that by faith we spiritually commune with Christ. Jesus is spiritually present with us as we observe this ordinance, as we come in faith and repentance and in true prayer. But then, not only with communion with Christ, there's a secondary sense that Paul goes on in chapter 10. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. That This Lord's Supper is also a sign and seal in a secondary way of our fellowship in the body of Christ, our communion with each other. And that's one of the things that the Corinthians were confused about, and they were disregarding that great spiritual truth symbolized by the one loaf. They were sharing that bread and that cup. And so we must not see the Lord's Supper as something that's a mere ritual or a mere ceremony or something that we do by rote, but rather as an opportunity to commune with our Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of our union with Christ. The benefits from the Lord's Supper are not from the Supper itself, but from Jesus Christ himself. 
as we look to him anew by faith. The benefits aren't automatic. They're not magical. They come through faith as Jesus is spiritually present by his spirit and we commune with him. It involves more than something just mentally going through this action. It requires heartfelt engagement. And the primary focus is that we look to Jesus Christ and that we remember that we died with Christ, we rose with Christ, and so we are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Patty and I watched the movie Sully the other week. By the way, we watched it the night before we flew back from our trip to Texas. And I, if you're apprehensive about flying, you might not want to watch it the night before you get on a plane. But that's the movie about the miracle on the Hudson, the crash landing on the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, of Flight 1549, in which, amazingly, all 150 passengers and five crew members were saved. It was really a movie to behold, to think what that would have been like as they landed and crashed onto the Hudson, which was 37 degrees. You're not going to survive in that for long. In temperatures that were down to as low as 5 degrees. And they didn't have much time to stand on those wings of the plane as it sank into the Hudson. And the ferries quickly came. Just amazingly, everyone was saved. No one was killed. But it's interesting, in the credits of that movie, they showed what must have been a reunion between the real Captain Solly, not Tom Hanks, but the real Captain Solly and his wife, and many of the passengers from that trip. And there was this sense you could just see as they greeted the captain and as they greeted one another with hugs and smiles, and, and apparently they all know each other with their code words of, I'm seat 13D. They all know what seat they were on. They're, they're never going to forget that extraordinary day in which they thought they were going to die and they were saved. Their captain saved them from a near-death experience. Do you see my point? The Lord's Supper commemorates and signifies our union with Christ, our communion with Christ. When we partake of it, it's like a reunion of Flight 1549. Only there's a greater reality. We have been redeemed eternally by Jesus Christ and his blood. We enjoy communion with our great God. Certainly we come with joy unspeakable and full of glory, as Peter writes. Well, finally then, to think of the practical application, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity to renew our repentance and faith in our God. We must come to the Lord's table in faith. Do this in remembrance of me. This is not a mere intellectual remembering, but it is an act of looking to Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death in faith. And that that is the way we enter the Christian life, through faith and repentance. And if you've never come to Christ, true faith means trusting in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, trusting that his death was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sin And to see your great need because of your sins and to humble yourself and pray for God's mercy because of Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone. And then the Christian life is walking in that kind of faith and repentance every day, knowing that we stand by God's grace alone. We sang the hymn, 
Come thou fount. And the last verse says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The Christian is aware that we are prone to wander. We need to walk in repentance and faith. And so the Lord's Supper is a great help to remind us of that fundamental character of the Christian life of walking by faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper provides us with, we might say, a concrete reminder and an opportunity to look to Jesus Christ. Husbands, you know it's only nine days till Valentine's Day, so I know you've got great plans and everything. But Valentine's Day is a cultural thing, and it, there's nothing special for, about it in that sense. But it is a helpful reminder, isn't it? Valentine's Day doesn't generate or make a marriage good. It doesn't generate a union between a husband and a wife. It doesn't generate the love, but it's a reminder about that. It's a reminder and a calling on that day to do something special for your spouse, And so it is, when we come to the Lord's table, we are reminded about our marriage to Jesus Christ. We are betrothed to him. There's going to be a marriage supper lamb one day when we see him in glory. And so it's an opportunity to renew our faith and our repentance. Notice how verses 27 and 28 talk about the need for self-examination. The Corinthians were partaking in an unworthy manner, we find in verse 27, because apparently they were not discerning the body of the Lord. They weren't distinguishing the Lord's Supper from other common meals. And so they were partaking carelessly or irreverently, and they were called to examine themselves and so eat and drink of the bread and the cup. In fact, we find further down that they were even coming under God's chastening hand. They were being disciplined. Some were sick and some had even died. They were under the temporal judgments of God, which are always for our good to promote our growth and maturity in Christ. For us, we come to the Lord's table, I would say, with mixed emotions, don't we? We're saved by his grace but we're not fully glorified yet, not in this life. And so we always come with an element of sorrow over our remaining sins. We grieve, we mourn, but we also come with a deep joy in Christ's death, procuring our salvation. And so blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We come mourning in a sense, but we come being comforted anew by the gospel. And so sometimes our hymns are in a minor key because that's that sense of mourning over sin and what Christ had to bear for us. But also there are major key hymns too because we're rejoicing in our Lord. But it's a time to examine our hearts, to confess our sins, to humble ourselves anew, and to carry out biblical self-examination. Not a completely introspective look at ourselves without also looking to Christ. In fact, we look to Christ more, in a sense, than we look to ourselves. But it's a time to ask the Lord to search our hearts. What about our relationships to those around us? How are we failing to love as we should? Where do we need to forgive others? Where do we need to confess our sins? Where do we need to learn to 
not speak some things that we would tend to speak and to guard our tongues and where do where are we committing sins of omission things that we are failing to do that we ought to do the lord's supper is an opportunity to turn away from all known sin the children's catechism said that repentance is to hate and forsake our sin because it is displeasing to god And so, especially when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded again of the massive cost that Jesus had to bear and to see our sin in light of the cross and in light of the love of Jesus that sustains us. And so, in that sense, it's right and appropriate as we partake of the Lord's Supper to renew our resolve to turn away from the sin that so easily besets us. There's nothing wrong with that done in a Christ-centered way. In fact, it's an occasion for us to renew our resolve to wage war against remaining sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and to renew in our hearts a right seeking of God by the means of grace. And so then, the Lord's Supper is a reminder to combat what I would call our spiritual forgetfulness. Don't we easily become spiritually forgetful? I'm at the point in my life that I'm forgetful about lots of things, it seems. But I don't want to be spiritually forgetful. I don't want to be dull in heart in terms of my relationship to the Lord. And so the Lord's Supper is this tangible reminder to soften our hearts, to renew our repentance, to strengthen our faith, to increase our love for Jesus Christ, to fill us with thanksgiving, to animate our resolutions against sin, and to encourage us to seek the Lord. And so we approach the Lord's Supper, hopefully in a better way than the Corinthians were doing. And they were instructed, and we have to think that they improved as well. But to approach it with reverence before God and worship and with a spiritual hunger and remembering Christ and seeking to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. May that be our goal as well. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this great gift to your church. It's a simple ordinance and yet so powerful as it is used by you, by the Holy Spirit, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by God our Father, to work in our lives, to deal with us as your sheep, we need the work of the Good Shepherd in our lives. And so help us to be able to partake more and more worthily, not because we are worthy in any way, but because we are looking to the one who is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. We pray this in his name. Amen.